Okay, here we go. I'm so excited, I hardly know where to start. Gaining and I have this ongoing conversation about how we simply need to be dispassionate with you because otherwise you, you know, you, you, you'll think ill things. And yet I find, it, I find it very difficult to be dispassionate about the thing I care most about in life. So I just don't quite know what to do with you <coughs> because uh, I observe in you, well, well, I mean, I, I should tell you stories. That would be the postmodern way. <clears throat> the first thing you might want to think about, you might just want to tuck this away. Uh, this is indebted to Aidan Kavanaugh. You don't have to buy it hook, line, and sinker. Kavanaugh's a brilliant new Notre Dame theologian. Dead? Yeah. May his soul rest in peace. Brilliant guy. All right. So Caden, uh, Kavanaugh made this distinction between what's primary and secondary theology. Don't push it too hard, but I like to push it as far as I can push it. Let me give you an example. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to give the kids an experience with Tizay. This is all you need to know about Tizay. In fact, if I, no, I shouldn't explain because that would be secondary. <clears throat> when we went to Tizay, you pull up and what you're firstly what you're first encouraged by is the enthusiasm, sheer numbers, and low age of the people who are there. It's out in the middle of like a field in France, and somehow it draws <coughs> 500 or 1,000 people under the age of 25 to church three times a day. Why is that? When you go, <coughs> there's no instruction. You, go to the, you simply go to the door marked English or German or Portuguese. You go to the door with your language, you pick up a book, you go in, it works. This is utterly primary. Primary means you do it. Secondary means you talk about it. The modern world is given to secondary theology. They want to talk about everything. The postmodern world is given to primary theology. It's most important to do it. So once a week, or once a month in chapel, we bring to Zayin. <coughs> now, uh, the first time, you know, we had patience. The second time, the kids once again came late, and some of the more adults than kids are talking, which utterly <coughs> ruins the experience. Because when you're talking, you're explaining. When you're explaining, it's no longer primary. So what do we do? We change table time. We said... <clears throat> we won't wait for them anymore. When we come in, we want them to be utterly settled. So they come in. There are no lights. There are probably 30 candles. It's dark. <coughs> it's morning. There's icons. There's a crucifix. <coughs> and it's given to silence. So you start with an invocation. It's silence. You sing a song. It's silence. You read a text. It's silence. You kneel to pray. There's silence. You sing a psalm. You're done. And you go out into the world and you live as a Christian. The fascinating thing about chapel this week was all the kids got that. They were brilliant. We came in. It was perfectly still. We <coughs> uh, waited before the reading. It was perfectly still. We sang. Then it was perfectly still. The only point where they struggled is where we actually had them kneel to pray. 
And I waited for about two minutes as we knelt for it to get perfectly silent. And you have to remember, this is, do first graders come? Yeah. First grade through eighth grade, 150 kids. You're trying to get them perfectly still. I waited for about two minutes, but I could always hear <coughs> a little whisper, a little shuffle of the papers. I mean, this is a very high standard for what silence is. Silence would mean pin drop silence. I waited about two minutes, and then I went ahead and said the prayers because I thought, well, we're not quite all the way there yet. Now, the fascinating thing is the kids simply absorb that without instruction. They know they're in a holy spot. <coughs> They've been given a, a sheet to sing or to say, and that's all. The fascinating thing about adults is when we're done, adults want to ask questions and explain it all. <coughs> okay, now, if, my, if I got a dead knee and I can't kneel, is that going to be okay? Or is that, oh, do, now, how do I move forward? Now, how long, what do you intend them to do during this lesson? Now, do you want them to say the prayers like they learned as a child? Or do you want them to, see, the adults immediately want an explanation. The kids are just like, oh, I was in holy space. Postmoderns are primary. Moderns, I'm sorry, yes. Postmoderns are primary, moderns are secondary. Postmoderns are all about doing. <coughs> moderns are all about talking. Goethe, we've talked ourselves out of life. Okay. Second example. We've taught, is this our third time down here? So we've taught twice down here and once upstairs. <coughs> From this distant corners, I've had this comment back. Why aren't we teaching a Bible study? To which I think to myself, oh, you moderns, could you just sit down and think about somebody besides yourselves? Okay. So here's the thing. Here's your big world right here. <clears throat> when you read Nowen, who is on the border, because he's more postmodern than maybe you realize, you go from the text to the world. So Nowen said, he, he, he reads the Emmaus story and then he tells you how that plays out in your life. It's a very modern way to do it. It's an instruction manual. You can all go home now and you've got 10 points and you can do the 10 points and then you're good little Christians. Okay? Which is fine. But it's not the world you live in. Wright is doing the opposite. He's going from the world to the text. And this is what I think the people who are saying, we're not doing a Bible study, haven't figured out yet. <laughs> this is going to also, the similar shift is going to be, I'm going to stop being a Christian for you. Okay? I'm going to stop praying for you. Look, you look at me confused. Here's the thing. It's okay if the pastor prays, but I don't. It's okay if he reads his Bible, but I don't. It's okay if he tithes, but I don't. Hey, and you know what? You know what the clearest example of shift is? People come in all the time and assign the staff work. I think it's a good idea if we have a soup kitchen. You know what you should do? Why don't you get a soup kitchen started? You know, I think the kids, I think the high school kids need a field trip to, to that Jewish museum. Down. Why don't you get that museum trip going? You know, I think we should do, I think we should do more for the poor. You know what you should do? You should get busy and do more for the poor. It's a classic idea to be in a modern. You think it through, you talk about it, you assign the doing to somebody else. No, no. This is a shift now. After a decade of having your normal modern Bible studies, it's coming back on you. 
It's time for you all to do like Christians. Okay? You get this? So, now the text. <clears throat> Wright looks at this world and he says, the old way doesn't work. Now, <clears throat> one criticism of me, or of, you, of the past, uh, of Gainick, one criticism of Gainick. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> I think about, I think about, uh, God, for some reason I was thinking about this, the, the nuns this morning when a guy who hears confession from nuns said, it's like being pelted with marshmallows. <laughs> 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 they have nothing to confess. They just, you know, occasionally we have to say to people, go back and get some real sins. <clears throat> See me when you got some real problems, okay? <clears throat> we're, so we're shifting you. We're trying to I got this. I did this wrong. Golly, I got these backwards, didn't I? See, now you shouldn't just sit there and take it. You know, you should when it, when that when it's obviously wrong. You see, I just read a study where um, they had some actor give uh, a, a, a lecture on 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 the economy to 200 economists. No, it should have been, uh, and it was completely gibberish. And 56%, then they polled. You know how they always do? Because you know what you have to do if you're a modern. You talk about something, then you talk about how you talked about it. <laughs> so you go to a, they, when you go to a conference now, they always give you a thing. You give your feedback. And part of that, so you talk about how you talked about it. 56% of the economists said that was brilliant. It was, it, was con it was contrived as contradictory, but the guy was very smooth and very handsome. And had a very nice resume. So what? People believed him. Ah, there you go. So this is text to the world. This, was, this is how you got now. And okay, you're not in this world. So, <laughs> you know, a further comment about this Bible study. Uh, we'll come back when they give us some texts to um, tell people. So as if, as, if this is what, as if this is what the world needs. The world needs more Josh McDowell. So what we'll do, we'll give you 25 texts to memorize, memorize. And then you walk around like Matt Dillon in Gunsmoke. By the way, this week, The Simpsons passed Gunsmoke as the longest-running primetime TV. That is a testimony to postmodernism. Did you grow up with Matt Dillon? Right was right and wrong was wrong. Dun, 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 dun. Gunsmoke with Matt Dillon. And Miss Kitty, she was interesting, wasn't she? That's right. Oh, there was a lot of gray. Oh, 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 ah, yeah. You showed... No, I, I take your point then. I'll, I'll, okay, I take the Roy Rogers point. Well, now that's that's a bit of a modernist thing to say. <clears throat> a bit of a judgment there. Hop along, Cassidy. White hats and black hats. Come on now. Um, the best post, if I could find it, the best postmodern definition def def ever is in The Simpsons. I have to find the exact one where. Do you remember where? Um, what's the guy who runs the bar? Help me. Mo, curly, close. Mo, Mo turns his bar into an oxygen bar, and it's all post. And then he said he's got this definition about six words of postmodern. It's, it's, it's a great, I've got to find that. We should watch The Simpsons down here at some point. That would be relevant. So here's the thing. So here's, here's, how, you, how, here's how you used to do it. So here, you memorize a lot of text, and then you take them out, like Matt Dillon. And then when you see it, you draw, and you kill them. All right? And of course, that'll make people believe. Because if you can just beat people into believing, That'll make them want to believe, right? If you think it's all about beating people into believing. 
But the problem is Lutherans have never believed that. So Wright says to you, you should walk around more. Just walk around without talking. You should just watch, just watch people. Just listen to people. And all he's saying to you is, if you listen to people, and, I, and partly this is, this is an exercise in shifting it from me to you, but it's also an exercise in, in stop not thinking about yourself and thinking about somebody else. So I was wondering today if you can read the Bible not for what it means to you, but what it means to other people. See, I have a, I have a tremendous presumption there that you're all okay. There's a tremendous presumption there that you're all okay. That you come to the Eucharist every week, that you hear the text read, that you're engaged by it, that you have a basic understanding of it, that your soul is okay. I don't mean you don't struggle, but I mean your salvation is not in doubt and you're trying to figure out what it means to be in the church Catholic, okay? So I wonder if you can start to think, start to read the text so that it's about somebody else instead of about you. Classic apologetics is about you. You stack your texts up and then you beat people down with them, which makes them love you, of course, and makes them want to come to church, right? Yeah, why don't people come to church? Because they, the, they were taught the third commandment like this. Come to church and you're going straight to hell! As opposed to, God thinks you need a day off, so you come and he'll serve you. That's the third commandment. The third commandment is, in every other religion, people work really hard and God rests. In Christianity, people rest and God works really hard. It's a complete upside-downness, okay? So here's how that, and I was hoping you'd discover this by yourself, but I was also concerned that when three or four people come to me and say, this isn't a Bible study, then I think to myself, you need some patience. You might, this sounds a bit self-serving, but you might presume that we actually know what we're doing. I know this is hard. I know it's hard in my own family life, too. There's nobody dumber in my family than me, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm it. I'm the, which is good. You should be the dumbest guy in the room, but not when you're the dad. So, um, all right, so here's the thing. So here, here's, here, this is very simple stuff. In fact, I'm going to spin the board now. Well, I'll spin it for you in just a second. But here's what he says. He says, if you just look around the room, if you just look around the world, and now in your ear should be Jesus saying, go teach everything to everybody, and then you say, how can I teach everything to everybody? And here's not the answer. Oh, gosh, Lane. I shouldn't talk about my kids, but I can sometimes. So <clears throat> Lane says, no, she's in high school, not ninth grade. She says, you know what we've discovered about boys? All they ever want to do is talk about themselves. <laughs> you know what I've discovered about Christians? So uh, here's what he says. He says, here's what people are talking about. When do we get, if your tithing goes up in these tough economic times, we will buy more of these. But until then, you must be punished. Um, <laughs> here's what's important. If you just listen to people, go out into the world, watch the news, read the newspaper, talk to people, listen. Almost nobody can listen. It's just, just waiting for what they're going to say next. I've, many modern conversations are just like two televisions aimed at each other. Yak, 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 yak. Okay? If you just listen in the world, you can categorize almost everything in broad strokes into a cry for justice, beauty, relationships, and 
What's the last one? Last week. Spirituality. So here's so here's the here we're, see, here's the thing. Yeah, this isn't classic Bible study where we're going to give you a, ten texts that you can wield like baseball bats. Instead, what you're supposed to do is to is to go out into the world and experience it, and then say to yourself, test this. Is there anything in your world when anybody says the stupidest thing, like I was a dog in my past life? <laughs> is there? I mean, that just did. Knock one up for spirituality. You listen to the stupid things that people say. I don't need anybody. Really? How'd you like to be in solitary confinement? How long could you last? Or, you can't tell me what's beautiful and what's not. See, I just, I, in one sentence, I'll save the Bible study on beauty. The biblical word for beauty, as you learned upstairs, is the biblical word for the incarnation of God in physical time and physical place. In the burning bush, on the altar, in Christ. So if anybody talks to you about beauty, you should say, I'll show you what's beautiful. Because there are people who will tell you that LSD is beautiful, and group sex is beautiful, and oppressing people is beautiful. You know, the child pornography is beautiful. Engage your world, okay? What was the presidential debate about last night? Justice, right? What is gossip about? Justice. What is complaint about? Justice. See, it's the other way around. We're, we're not doing what people did. I know the church always arrives slightly late and out of breath. I'm well aware of that, okay? I'm trying to break it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to show you what the next thing coming is, not the last thing, the next thing. Okay, that's, that's, and so, so now the trick for you is, and this is, we'll play you be me. You tell me, and this is where I wanted to go next week, although I thought maybe nobody would be here by next week, so that's why I took this week and gave you next week. <laughs> <coughs> you tell me, all right, and this is, and the, you know, like, y'all make me crazy some days. You tell me, this is what I wanted you to do, you tell me. What's your best text on beauty? Mine is, let the beauty of our Lord be upon us. Let it touch us, where beauty means incarnation. Okay, so you give me. What's your best text for justice? What's your best text for spirituality? Tell me your best story about relationships. So what's, no longer is the church the place where we give you a bunch of knowledge and you memorize and you just hope you get to use it. Talk about talking about it. Instead, what we're trying to do is make you real human beings so that when you bump into somebody, you know, like I told you the story about my wife, but, you know, the, I told you the story when, I, you know, she went out with a coworker who she's known for six years, and the woman, you know, I closed the story by saying, and then I woke up next to somebody, you know, I didn't remember. And then her next question was, what does your husband do again? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that was a bit of a career, there kind of a kind of a story ender then, you know. But, you know, what Kirby needs to be able to do then is <coughs> figure out uh, what, she's, which way, what story she wants to tell at that point. The one about the woman caught in adultery is probably a good, good point. That's a good story. Does that make sense? Go ahead. You modernist, you. It's a, now, Vicar, what you'll have to do is, we'll grade you on this later, decide whether her question is modernist or postmodern. We don't even know her. We, I mean, we, just, we don't know what she's going to say, but 
Let's see if she's given to the new or if she just wants to lap into the old Lutheran way of doing things, the dead orthodox way. Okay, Jill, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just pause there for a second? <laughs> okay, so now the, uh, another thing that we're doing another week is confession and absolution. We don't explain it. You get a rubric, that is, come to the altar when it's your turn. What happens, though? It's And then extract your sins right through your skull. And believe me, for some of you, this takes <laughs> tremendous hand strength. <laughs> <laughs> Now, why is, that, why is that appealing to kids? Because what they understand is the doing of it. That's why kids like incense and you don't like it. I mean, there's every kid wants to, all the kids ever ask us is, can we light something on fire? <laughs> why is that? Because it's the doing, you know? You know, why, why, does, why wouldn't we go next door? Why, you know, we, yesterday we went to the place where the guy casts the fonts, and we're talking about all these different things that we can do. And we did talk about an octagonal shape, and then we, he can do it. We were told he couldn't do it. He can do it. And then we, we sort of chose against it because the water doesn't run down. Here's what we want in the font. This is utterly postmodern, utterly doing. We want a font where the, where the water is troubled but silent where it rolls down over the side and invites you to touch, where it's utterly tactile. What you'll see is kids will run up. This is going to be great. We'll probably be sued. They're going to run up, and they'll embrace the font. Audrey will be completely wet in the morning, and then you'll be mad at us <laughs> because she just ruined her new dress from Faye, and what are we going to say? She's a postmodern. We can't help it. <laughs> she likes experience. She just touches it. And then she'll grow up thinking, stay near the water. The water's a safe place. The water's fun, the water's good, which is no different than Luther saying, remember your baptism. By the way, Luther was a pre-modern who looks very much like post-moderns or post-post-modern. Ganig and I are post-post-moderns. We haven't figured out what the vicar is yet. And Nelson is just his own guy. <laughs> I mean, he's just, he's like, we don't even, he's in a category that we don't even know, but it's be, we know it's beyond us. We don't even know what the next one is. Because he, here's what Nelson would say if he was down there. He's like, you can't categorize post-modernism. That's, that's the first thing he'd say to us. He'd say, we're categories. You modernists, that's what he would do. And we're like, no, post-modern. Post <laughs> so why do they like it? Because it's a doing. It's just, so, it's just so interesting. We all want it explained. We want it talked about. Kids just do it, and then they get it in the doing. What can they do in the silence? They can look at the icon. They can watch the candle flicker. They can look up at the vicar window. They can think about their baptism. They can say a prayer their mother taught them. They can say another prayer. They can, they can think about the kid that they hate who's sitting right next door to them. They can do anything they want within the realm of the holy, as opposed to us saying, think about this. Oh, she said, I didn't think about that. I wonder if I'm really a bad person. I wish I could just think about it. One of the good things about the liturgy is um, we visited a nunnery yesterday. And, um, a convent or a nunnery? Is there a difference? <laughs> <laughs> I, I use them interchangeably. It's just, it's just Shakespeare's word is the nunnery. Uh, but but it, there, was a, there was an order there. We went into the church, and then uh, she said something about the hymnals. And I said, uh, we were asking about the hymnals. And then I was reminded how the Holy, at Holy Name Cathedral in Chicago, the first page says, it says something like this. We're kind of sorry we have to put hymnals in the pew, but our hope is that someday you'll never pick these up. Why? Because it was to internalize it. 
So all that about the doing question. Okay, go ahead. Was there really a Bible class on Sunday? It was the nicest Sunday. <laughs> 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 you know, I, I just, I like, I tossed that little softball up there. I mean, that was, it was on a tee. That was on a tee. That could have been Jack. Oh, well, hey. The, so you say, but your actions may betray something else. Doing, talking, doing, talking. Go ahead. Okay, go, go, go. Yes. Uh, yes, within reason, that's true. Okay, so what was going through my head then was that it shouldn't just be the pastors that have that conversation. That's right. And talk about the story and truth of why God acted so great. Right. It should be everybody in the community. Yes, that's exactly right, which is why we did community last year. You think we're not thinking ahead, but actually we are. There's a reason it went exactly the way it went. So here's your task if you want to think about postmodernism as a modern or as a post-postmodern or, or if you want to be with Pastor Nelson, we can arrange a private visit. Kind of like the Pope. You can kiss his ring. He'll teach you things. You're not laughing. I am. This one, I just have to face this. You've got to love him. He's like, a, he's, like a, he's, like, he's the next big thing. It's, it's great. Does the spirituality relationships. All right. Now, if that, if that doesn't, you know, I can't. Uh, you know, so here I am explaining to you about not explaining, but your uh, impatience and sort of sticking with me. I was, we thought we had more uh, street cred with you than that, but apparently we didn't. So uh, you know, we had to sort of we had to sort of cave the show in a little bit earlier than we thought we could. But if you're if you're like if you're a linear person, you got to write things down. Which I you know, I mean, I have a PhD in systematic theology, which is going from A to B to C to D and no other way. Great line. Not where the world is. You've got to learn to engage the world in a different way. You're remarkably silent, which means I might be here alone next week, or maybe you believe me, I'm not sure which it is. Go ahead. Yeah, I know. That's what we do. I, I know I inspire fear. That's always my goal. Oh, <coughs> uh, no, you can. Yeah, no, see, oh, oh that's, that, that's good. So that's good. You know what? Brilliantly said. So what I don't want you to do is be afraid to talk, but I want you to engage it and not talk about it. I want it to be. I want it to be your, see, there's a difference between talking about things at a distance and being engaged by them as you talk. So one of the, one of the ways we crossed up a, a, one of our poor, dear past vicars is um, he told us that when Jesus says, take, eat at the, at the supper, that's the law, because Jesus is telling you what to do, to which, you know, my head almost exploded. Uh, and then I said, what about when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, law or gospel? He said, that's the law, he's telling you to do something. I said, what about when your wife says, kiss me, baby? I said, he said, uh, I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> See, so there's a way that, that you can actually use words to, to, engage, to do, but, uh, you know, do you talk about kissing your wife or do you kiss her? Uh, you know. You know, TMI, TMI. Okay, now here's the thing. If you say that, if you say that, here's the thing. I don't want to play anymore. That's right. I don't want to play anymore. Help me. It can be if the talking is part of the doing and not part of the talking. 
Yes, okay. So the doing, not the talking. I think we'll just take a different question now. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm going to say have at it. Yeah. You have to have at it within the community. And you have to have at it within all the sensibilities of the community. And you have to have at it with another work. Let me tell you an example. I talked to somebody the other day who left the congregation who said, I left the congregation because I wanted to stop a job. I was out of work and I wanted to start a job here in the basement and, and, and get everybody together on Saturdays and have all these men drink coffee and trade their resumes and make connections and network. And you didn't do it. And I said, you're right, I didn't do it, but I did set up the room for you. I did clear the calendar for a year. I did talk about it with some people, and you didn't show up. See, I want to have a job fair. You should do it, okay? So if you want to have a soup kitchen, have at it. Have at it. But here's, here's what you have to know. We have little kids, so we have security issues. We have other usages of the building. It's going to cost some startup money. One of the hardest things is getting volunteers to stick in with you. But if you can do it, and here would be my advice to you, start it with four people. Make soup for four people. Don't start for 400. But see, those are all things. That's just like legit. That's not saying don't start a soup kitchen. That's like Jesus saying, count the cost of the tower. The more, here's the thing. Part of what you want to do is reduce, here's what you want to do. You want to reduce your pastors to altar, pulpit, and font. And everything else you all should be doing, Right? Everything else you all should be doing. Have at it. But within, what we're, we're here for is to show you the boundaries of the community. Because if you get over the boundaries in any of these things, it's going to be very, very difficult. Yeah? Go. Um, I'm one of the people who is sad that we just had to leave because... You didn't tell me about her. Good. And so I'm constantly just trying to, you know, figure out how to love other people. Good. How to constantly be self-sacrificing in service. Beautiful. And, and when there's attention, he says it will be fruitful. Right. And so my desire for Bible study is not so that I can have bones in my holsters to whip out or bat. Right. And I just feel like, you know, I just want to say, wait, wait, wait. I, I don't know, maybe you've been doing this with a lot of other people, too, about the I'm not aware of that. But I, that is totally not where I'd be coming from when somebody uh, give us a Bible study. Right. And uh, the, the sorry. Can, can, you, can you hold the other thing? Because there's yeah. about four things to get. Part of the things is, is you know, thought kind of creeps. So there's about four things there, okay? So let's kind of. I can sort of keep them organized in my head. I have given you, uh, 
I have given you uh, some negative responses because I've been surprised <laughs> at the lack of patience in Bible study upstairs and downstairs. I'm surprised at that because I thought we were at a more sophisticated level. Let me give you an example. Uh, and I still think we are. I just think that the, that the startup time is a little longer or maybe is not carrying through as smoothly as I thought. Let me give you an example. I was with um, somebody the other day, and I can't even remember. It was a man, and I can't remember if I was talking about relationship with his wife or with his son. But <coughs> he described exactly how he was going to love this family member. Love is the word you use, which is a very good way to talk. He described exactly how he was going to love this family member. And at the end of that, what I said is, are you loving him the way you want to love him, or are you loving him the way he needs to be loved? And my encouragement here is not to say, don't use scripture. What I'm suggesting is the world needs to be loved in a fundamentally different way at the beginning of the 21st century than it did in the 20th century. And if we're going to love people, we need to do adjust to that very quickly. And here's the good news. The church knows how to do that. It knows how to do that, especially through primary experience. And the evidence is all around. People who go to emergent churches, for example, they're being loved in a way that they, they need to be loved. The problem with an emergent church is, and this is the good modern thing, is reason isn't brought captive to the gospel, so therefore they're not getting all the good stuff they need. So what we need to do is love them in this way and then give them all the stuff that you say that we need to give them. My suggestion to you is that you know a lot more of that now than you think you know. And so all I'm asking you to do is to flip the paradigm. Listen to how people need to be loved. People are telling you, love me this way. They're telling me, love me. Here's the thing. You know what the biggest mistake in moving next door is? The biggest mistake is moving next door. People who say, we got the land. Let's just set up folding chairs and go. We will have 200 people the first Sunday if we do that. If the paint color is right and the corpus fits with the font and the vestments are correct and the music feels the room and the lighting is appropriate and the ugly stained glass windows are gone, you won't be able to keep people out, okay? Because you have to love people. <coughs> it, it, you have to love people the way they need to be loved. Jesus did this all the time, okay? And this now the story. Show me a place where Jesus didn't love people the way they need. The ten lepers coming up for Thanksgiving. Everybody else hates them. What do they want? Relationships. Why? Because if you're a leper, you have to live alone. You shake a bell and yell unclean. What do they want most in their life? They want to go back to church. They want to go back to their families. What does Jesus say? Go show yourself to the priest. You can have your relationships back with God and with other human beings. Nobody else would speak that word. So when you have somebody who's utterly broken, you need to tell them a story like, Jesus and the ten lepers, like Jesus and the woman at the well, like Jesus and the woman who weeps on his feet. This is, this talk about softballs, this is right up our alley. All, see, what, what you hear me saying is abandon the scriptures. What I'm saying is reverse the paradigm. What I'm asking you to do is give pastoral care. I'm asking you to engage people where they are and deliver what you've got instead of starting with what you've got and hoping they catch on. And that's not to deny, deny the power of the Holy Spirit in the Word. It's just realizing where people are. So I'm, I'm saying something exactly different, although I understand how you can hear it in that way. It's not what I'm saying, okay? So here's my, and I don't know if we'll get to it today, but here's what I would challenge you to do. 
I would challenge you to start writing down all the Bible stories you know that fit under beauty. I would, I would suggest to you to learn to tell, I and mean, I've done this twice in the last three weeks in sermons, I've told you two very simple stories about relationships. What were they? What were they? Come on. The woman at the well. No, it wasn't the woman at the well. I just, I poisoned you by saying that. The woman caught in adultery. Sorry, I know. I actually was thinking that too. So the woman caught in adultery. So I don't know if you've ever known anybody who's committed adultery. Probably you don't. All those statistics are wrong that, you know, half the people in America have. You probably don't know anybody who's ever been caught in adultery or even any other sin. But if you ever bump into a sinner, what you might say to them, when people just say, I feel horrible, so my wife's proper response would be, and I should, I'm not picking on her because she's not here, but when that woman says to her, and I was so drunk and I woke up where I didn't know where I was with a guy I didn't know, the proper response to that is, yeah, Jesus knows about that, and he died for that one too. Or, yeah, Jesus bumped into a woman like that one day. He just forgave her so she could go on with her normal life, which would be the way that people would go, what? Because what's people's normal, ex- normal ex- expectation of Jesus? What? Yeah, exactly, you're going straight to hell. The gun smoke way. Black and white, no matter what you two say. So, all right. So, so the thing is, start to think about the stories that you know that fit in here. What else is Jesus before Pilate but a cry for justice? Pilate goads him into trying to say, come on, speak up, let's have justice. To which Jesus, utterly silent. Because if you fix the game, there's nothing to say. See, I'm trying to get you to think about, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to get you to actually, here's what I'm not trying to do. I'm not trying to go from the Bible text to like six ways for you to live your life so you can go home now and watch TV. I'm trying to get you to think about what the world looks like and then say, what do I know from church on Sunday that would engage what the world looks like? Make sense? It's, a, it's an upside down, and part of it, just as an aside, one of, the, one of the rumblings we've heard is that we've engaged the postmodern world and sold out to that. I have no interest in being a postmodern because they're not rational. But I'm very engaged with the fact that they're postmodern and so we need to help them. There's a difference between engaging things and being compromised by them or embracing them or thinking that way, right? Make sense? Let me go here and I'll come back. Go, Beth. You can come. If you don't ask what we're doing, you can come. Good. Good. We'll tell you when you're okay, and we'll tell you when you're not. 
I'm just being, a, I'm just being sassy. Yeah. Right. Good. But here. Okay, so here's good. So I'm just going to take you because you pointed to you. So here's what I know about you. You come to church every Sunday. You hear the gospel. Forget pastors and what they can screw up or to get wrong. You hear the gospel read every Sunday. You get a Jesus story every Sunday. And those have been in you from forever because I know you and you've been to church forever. You know, all, you know all those stories. And you go to the Eucharist every Sunday. And you go to Bible study every Sunday. And you go to the Eucharist every Thursday. And you come here every Friday. Let me just tell you, in the big world of churchdom, you're okay. Okay, <laughs> now here's the thing. You may not feel it's it's you may not feel you're okay and you may have stuff to work on, but here's what I'm telling you. Your encounter with Jesus, that Jesus encounters you when he speaks with his living voice, when he gives you his body and blood, when he does that again in the dark on Thursday morning, when he brings you bring all that you've got. Now this is another aspect of that same thing, okay? You may be tired, and one of the problems, one of the problems when I came to St. John is you all said, there's nothing going on. And now the problem is, there's too much going on. And I'm like, oh, you're like having nine-year-olds, you know. <laughs> Never please you. Okay, so, and, but my advice, then, you can ask your husband, the elder, who would be another feather in your cap, uh, you know, the things being okay. I've said repeatedly for the past three years, let's do less, let's do less, to which I said, if you want a soup kitchen, God bless you, but you have a soup kitchen. Don't make me run the soup kitchen because I'm tired too. But on the other hand, okay, now put all that aside, and it's good to know yourself, and it's good to know that about yourself. But the other thing is, is if that's how we are, then something needs to be adjusted because we haven't, we don't have eyes and energy left for the world. And then we aren't doing as Jesus bids us to do. Go and teach everybody everywhere to treasure up everything I've left behind, okay? So what I'm begging you for, okay, just, just a second. But she just, said, she just said she doesn't have any time and energy for that. If you say you have time and energy for that, then I say, good for you. But she, she spoke only about herself, so I only replied about her. Sorry? Fantastic. So now I got two of you. I'm going for 30. Okay, let me ask you about the people you... But let me talk to let me ask you about the people you talk to, okay? So take all the people you talk to. Do they come to church every Sunday? Uh, okay, so now now okay, so we all right here because this, this is gonna be this is like shooting fish in a barrel. Here's the people you talk to. Do they come to church every Sunday? Some of them do. Do they come to Bible study every Sunday? Some of them do. Do they come to the Eucharist on Thursday? Some of them do. And do they do they do a little extra Bible study? Some of them do. And this is my Bible class on Sunday. We are not going to play the church at this level at the lowest common denominator. Which is, and I'll just, this is the sermon for last Sunday. Those people you're talking about need to do what they're told. What does Jesus tell them to do? Third commandment, come to church. Acts chapter 2, go to the Eucharist every day. Uh, go, go to the Eucharist every week. Acts chapter 2, study the, study the scriptures every day. Say your prayers with friends. You know, this is, this is, the, this is the church. And the people who are complaining are out here. What I'm suggesting to you is you people are in here, which is fantastic, and we need to shoot you back out here. So these people cannot define this. These people need to define this within your strength. They are the church, but they don't define the church. There's no place in scriptures. Find me a place where it says the move is from meat to milk. 
Find me a place where it says the least mature people dominate the most mature people. That we've lived with this because we have voters' assemblies and we lack authority in the Missouri Senate. We put, if you want to go to the lowest common denominator, have a democracy. Okay? Have a democracy. Watch the presidential debate. Is that carried on? Watch the economic debate. Is that carried on at the highest common denominator? Or do people just simply say, oh, this ain't good for me, or I hate those guys over there, or somebody else is getting my money? It's always about them. Because ultimately, democracy is self interested. Okay? Go ahead. I'm being very brave. Good. Um, being a young postmodern and. Um, and proud of it? And proud of it. There you go. Perfect. So the next thing you say is, so, so what would be, so I pose the question to all of you now. When a friend of yours finds out you're a Christian, and frankly may like it, I mean you're doing a brilliant job and you're helping all kinds of people, and you're actually, are you a sponsor or catechist in the new gig? You're sponsors, yeah. So, which is cool, which means you have people that are already looking up to you. So when, when you have a friend who says, well, I don't want to get in a big debate about that, already you know their sense of the church, that's why it's good to be with her, is utter law, so they're going to condemn. So what, give me one line, five words or less, any of you, ten words or less that you would say in that situation. I can tell you what I'd say. Anybody, what would you say? One line. Because you got about, your window's, tell me if I'm wrong, your window's about this big. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Not too institutional. Better, because that gets to relationship. Because that's their presupposition. But give them, the rabbi can't answer a question with a question. You have to give them, you have to give them a reason, give them what they need. Okay? Sorry? You can go to coffee because you're still in relationship. You know what I'd say? I can show you beautiful things. Now, in your particular case, here's what I would show you. I would show them your daughter. And someday, talk to them about when they hug the font, you can tell them what the water's all about. Or I would show them your husband. Or I would show them your own life. Or I would show you your faithfulness to your family. Or blah, blah, blah. But the point is, I could show you beautiful things. You see why this is the right diagnosis? This is what people want. See, here's the thing. We're a bunch of 50-year-olds, 40-year-olds, telling people who are 20 years old what they're interested in. As long as you do, you don't do that in any other, you're, you're, you go to work and you're marketing something. Do you, you tell me, does Coke tell people what they're interested in or does it find out what they're interested in and hit that target? 
So all this is asking you to do is think about another way. Beth, I resonate with what you're saying. Part of the reason I, here would be my guess if I were gonna diagnose you. Part of the reason is, no, part of the reason is, is part of the reason you feel your tiredness and sometimes despair is because you know deep down that the church should be this big and the church is this big and then this is just the old 80-20 rule, right? So you're gonna do the soup kitchen and all Christmas sharing and can you be a room mom and can you do Cub Scouts? And we need a parking on somebody on Sunday. And can you teach Sunday school? And raise your family, and raise your family if you have any time. <laughs> and work. <laughs> See? So what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to do is expand this outward. And, and just understand me. Being okay doesn't mean you're perfect, which that was a, like a gorgeous postmodern little gig right there that you just gave. Because part of what she said is, I mean, here's the thing is, she's not thinking about what it means to be postmodern. I wonder if I can match the criteria. She's just telling you about herself. Which is then, she, and she just says, did you hear what she said? She says, yeah, I'm in the church, but I don't really have everything all together. Which is completely different than a modernist 1950s understanding, which is, where's the church? Really good people who have it all together, right? See, I think you say that, but you're, you're the last, the, the, what I've, what I, the responses of the last few weeks betray that. So what we need to do is get those two things in line. If you can't see how this book is going toward a Bible study, if you can't see how this book is Bible study, then you're not all the way there. Because this, book, this, is a, this is, book is purely about missions. This is about missions in the 20, 22nd century, in the 21st century. As somebody said to me the other day, you can't say that in the 22nd century. And then me being a smart guy said, eh, it's the 21st century. <laughs> but that was just only to deflect. So I, I, I mean, you need to be around the right Brilliant. And, but let me just tell you something. If you and I and anybody over here keeps talking like moderns to her and her, and maybe her, although you've been to seminary, so you've been corrupted. Uh, and you, <laughs> if you keep talking to them like moderns, they're not going to be here in six weeks. Because I can tell you what they are right now. They're bored stiff that you all can't get it. Am I wrong or am I right? They're bored stiff that I have to explain to you about not explaining. Okay? Am I wrong? Huh? I'm not bored. But you thought you were getting something else. Yeah. So, but... Just telling you. There's a reason why Gainig has, you know, 40 people in the catechumenate and 80 more people are helping him. There's a reason. And the reason is they want this and they want this and they want this. And if they get this, it'll be a bonus prize, right? And they're all loving each other. We've had an exodus of crabby people leave the congregation over the past couple of years. It's been great. I used to lie awake at night and worry about every person that left. But now I sort of see it as a divine gift. Because here's the thing, what's happened is the level has been ratcheted up for beauty and joy and relationship and community. And people will either change or die. And to die is to find another place where you can still be crabby. It's interesting because I hear <coughs> where members go and cause, that cause tremendous trouble here are now in new congregations causing tremendous trouble. Fascinating. But sometimes things only bear themselves out over time. Yes, please. I have a neurotic soul. And I <coughs> Thank you very much. And I just feel like I need to be 
genius. That was an enormously uh, clever Lutheran dodge that's been good for at least 100 years. That as soon as anybody says, open a soup kitchen, the response is, what are you trying to earn your way to heaven? <laughs> All right. That is like so stupid, I wish I could rewind the last 100 years, which has kept people. Why do people in the Missouri Synod give 2.7% of their money? The literalist, fundamentalist, inspired word of God, Missouri Synod people, who think that tithe means 2.7. Because they talk all about a tithe, and then when they do it, it's 2.7. They're liars. Do they believe it's the inspired word of God? Literally true? There's no sense but the literal sense? No. At least they don't do it. It's a convenient dodge. So I'm kicking the stilts out from under the dodge by saying, if she's at the Eucharist twice a week, when she drops dead of a heart attack from all she's got to do, we're going to have a funeral for you and say she's in heaven, then we're going to eat potato salad, and we'll love you. But uh, <laughs> we won't say she earned her way to heaven, you see. This is just a convenient, this is partly why uh, we're not sort of casting this as a Lutheran thing, because we want to break you out of the Lutheran errors. Not that we don't love being Lutheran, but we don't want the same old, if you just repeat the same old errors, nothing new gets done. Get it? Yes, please. You've been very patient, by the way. I've missed you several times. Um, just two different thoughts. Yeah. One is, um, you were saying that God is like, <coughs> I remember when I was getting ready to go to China this summer, and I was emailing about food, and the dean was like, sometimes he asked me about some of the things that was really tricky, and one of the emails he sent out is, I noticed in your list you have food. And <coughs> I said that's not very pastoral words, <laughs> are they? <laughs> Easy peasy. That's the kind of thing you don't usually say at seminary. <laughs>
Well, this is going to be interesting, uh, you know, one way or another. But thank you very much for all that. Um, I think if you can begin to simplify, I, as you're telling the story, I'm thinking about what you would say to such a man or what you would say to your next-door neighbor. And then as you're telling the story, I'm thinking, the Nowen book is a great book for your next-door neighbor, or the Nowen story, uh, or, or pick a little bit. I guess, I guess, um, this is going to be way more interesting than I thought it was. I actually think this is harder. What's well, harder? I think postmodern is harder than postmodern. Uh, it is in one sense, but in another sense it's not. The reason it's easier is modernism leads to atheism. The absolute, just, I mean, just, modernism leads to atheism. Pure, if you define, it's a little like, all, all modernism does is it defines a particular game, hockey. Okay, and if you show up with a golf club and a ball, you know, you've got some similarities, but you don't really understand what you're doing and they don't let you play. That's what reason does. It, it, is, it, 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 it defines the rules of the game, and then it says what doesn't fit inside the rules doesn't get to play. Well, God was defined outside the rules. So, the, so, so what people have said is that game didn't work very well. People, you know, there's 27, I was down at Wheaton College, uh, International Justice Mission, had a postcard, so there's 20, 27 million people in slavery today, you know. We can blow each other up. The economy's falling apart. You know, uh, racism has been in the debate about presidency. Just pick your thing. It just didn't work very well. Guess what? We couldn't think ourselves into utopia. It just didn't work. We tried for 300 years. It doesn't work. And people like you or you are saying, you've got to be kidding me. You want me to grow up to be like you? And the answer is, actually, no. We'd like you to grow up to be like Jesus. But what you need to do is learn to then talk about what Jesus is. And my suggestion to you is, and I, you know, here's the thing, Beth, I'm getting old enough to be more sassy than I was when I was younger, which is I will listen to you because you're here, but people who are out here need to sit down and shut up because they're very close to being out here, which is paganism, okay? As Stanley Howard says to his freshman MDs at Duke when they raise their hand to ask a question in his first, in his first class, he says, there won't be any questions in here. None of you are smart enough to ask questions. That's, that's, that's people, that's these people here. Until you're at the Eucharist every week and saying your prayers every day and um, utterly devoted to Christ, don't tell me what Christianity is. I have no interest. You don't know what you're talking about. Not you. You understand I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to these people who tell me from outside what Christianity is. That's like people who are single telling me outside what marriage is or people who don't have kids from outside telling me how to raise kids or pick something. People who are utterly inexperienced and don't know what they're talking about are always telling people how to do it, which again is a modern thing. Tell, 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 talk, talk, talk. My answer is do it. Do it for five years. You know what? I, somebody came in today. This is the second time I've been here, although I reduced the sentence. But eight years ago, somebody came in and, and really was hard on me and St. John. And I said, you know what? You go work in a soup kitchen for 10 years, and then I'll listen to you. And I gave him the address, Moses Place downtown. And somebody came in this week. I said, you know what you need? I said, I'll listen to you in five years. You go work in a soup kitchen for five years. Then you come back, and I'll talk to you. Because I'm not interested in people who just talk all the time. Sort your people by who talks and who does. And don't play them off against each other. It's just that we've been really long talk for a really long time, a really short on doing, especially as Lutherans. And this is a way for you to learn to do. 
So what you need to do is, this would be your assignment, especially if you're yearning for Bible study, you don't know how this works, here's what I would give you as an assignment, very modernist categorization. Take each of these topics as you read and start to write down which stories fit where. Some will fit more than one place. For example, last week, um, well, the woman, the woman caught in adultery is all four of them. Jesus declares her just. I don't condemn you. He gives her the ultimate dose of spirituality, which is it doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what Christ does. He gives her herself back, her family back, her community back, her religion back, and her relationship with God back, and it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And so the words for private confession steal that story. And the last words of private confession are, go and work, go and live for the beauty he would fulfill in you for yourself and for others. Go, you're free. Did you get all that? Go and live, do it for the beauty that Christ would fulfill in you. Not I who live, but Christ did through me, which is going to be how James and Galatians fit together on Sunday. Go, you're free, which is exactly what he said to the woman. See? So the thing is, this is the ultimate Bible study. This is the Bible study applied. This is the Bible study for other people. This is for it's not about you. This is just the next step. And maybe we miscalculated, or maybe we weren't clear enough, or maybe we tried not to explain, and maybe we should have explained, and maybe we shouldn't have explained, and maybe we should have just done the work today. I have no idea. Go ahead. <laughs> was that who was was that Gainish class? Yeah. Who was that? Oh boy. No, the reason I, we could think of we could think of, but the reason I don't want you to use a different name is because this is how people talk, and for the rest of your lives, this is how they're going to talk. Here's the thing: academics is always 50 or 100 years ahead of what the world is. Okay, so academics is already on to post-postmodernism. They're already on to the death of postmodernism. But you won't be, and your kids won't be. It, it takes a while for it to trickle down. It won't trickle down for another 50 years. So you're, here's the thing: that's going to be good for you. Modernism, ba basically, this is the criticism. Modernism didn't work. We aren't safer. We aren't happier. We don't have more beauty. We don't have better relationships. Justice, there have been more martyrs, Christian martyrs, in, this, in the 20th century than there was in any previous century. It didn't work. All postmodernism is, if you need to think about it carefully or easily, it just means the last 100 years didn't, well, the last 300 years didn't work. It didn't work. So give us something better. All postmoderns are saying is give us something better. Your friends, all they're saying is give us something better. Our answer is Christ. When people hear that answer, they hear judgment. And why do they hear that? Because we don't know how to talk about Jesus in a way that's not judgment. So all I'm suggesting you to do is rethink about your Sunday school stories and learn to think about, talk about Jesus' beauty. Talk about him as relationship. Talk about him as satisfying your soul in a way that you can't be satisfied any other way. Talk about him as justice. Learn to talk about Jesus in a way that people can hear you. 
It's not that hard. Yes, please. Maybe we should take a field trip. When we go to Rome next, I'm going to take you for a shave just so we'll understand the step. I walk by and there's always a guy with a big razor shaving. Large Italian men who are laid back like this. I'm always, of course, what I'm always thinking is they cut your throat at a moment's notice. But then I'm thinking, what better place to bleed to death? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Give a defense for the faith that's in you. We got to stop. We got to. This is this is just one more step of not talking about ourselves. We just have to. It's been enough. You know, it's ten years of jamming stuff into you. It needs to start start coming out of you. And now's the time. All the stars are aligned. We have enough space. We have enough parking. We've got. You know, we've had enough. I mean, it's a, it's the next step in being a Christian. And we just we're, we have to break. We all have to break out of what isn't in the way of Jesus. I'm, I'm sorry for not doing the book, um, sort of, but I also, I'll give you this as an assignment. This is what I'd like you, trust right, just trust him. And, and you know, not to the hundredth percentile, but just trust him that generally the world now yearns for these things. And what I'd, I'd give you as an assignment is, start to write down the Jesus stories that fit under each of these things, and just begin to listen for scenarios or imagine scenarios, what would you say? What would you say to Catherine's neighbor who says, 
I've been chasing spirituality all my life, and I still feel empty. Or what would you say, you know, what would you say to, to your friend when, the, when they say, I don't know if I believe in Christianity, and you, all you need to say is, I can show you beautiful things, period. That's all you need to say. Yes, please, Faith. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Perfect. Yes. Because that's yeah, perfect. That's the positive spin here. You'd say, "Well, I've 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 lived with this. How long have you been married? You just had a big one, didn't you?" Yeah, you, you say, I've, I've lived with the same man for 44 years. It's wonderful. Or, you know, the other way of saying that is, what she could have said is there was this great throwaway line in here where he said, sex cuts a path to your soul. Do you remember that line? You, what you, another thing to say would be, that must have been very painful. Because sex, you know, sex goes to the soul. Now, that's ten words, Right? Yeah, it's pa- exactly. I mean, she wasn't saying it because she was proud of it. She was in, uh, she was in much pain. And, but when she heard Jesus, then what did she hear? My husband's a pastor. What does she hear? So the, so the church is the place where you go if you really want to get beat up. How did that become our moniker? See, and my answer is we've got to shake out of that. You know, somehow that's who we are. And the old way of doing apologetics, which is sit down and I'm going to talk you out of, Waking up with people you don't know. You don't know that there's a fourth commandment and there's a sixth commandment, and you don't know that people aren't going to sit still for that. You know what they will sit still for? If you grab them by the head and say, all your sins are forgiven, which is exactly what we're doing. See? It's a different world. We're trying to get you a little lighter on your feet. Try to be patient. <laughs> Last thing, and then we've got to go. Thanks. for. Well, there he is, Mr. Popomo. All right. <laughs> That's, uh, now, that's a good-looking pastor. If you want a good-looking... I mean, that's the man right there, huh? Hey, forgive me for my categories, Father, for I've sinned, okay? Forgive, try to avert your eyes. <laughs> Absolutely. And that is why we've restructured the catechumenate. So if you come to be a member, we knew that we were good at one thing. We knew we weren't good at another thing. So we knew that we're, we knew that we're really good with people who had a lot of background. We're really bad. We were really bad with people who didn't have much background, which is why then it's important for you. <coughs> this is great, man. Who was it? It was the Coles. Caught you. So the Coles, good Lutherans, which means they do everything the same, week, same, same thing week after week, show up at the 9 a.m. service. What? I've got my third ear on. My counseling arm, like, must be trouble in the household. Came late. Did they fight late last night? The kids aren't obeying. What could it be? So what do I say? But I lie, put it in my pastor face. I say, hey, this isn't your normal service. What are you doing here? And then she says, oh, we came with our sponsor family because they could come at 9. And right then their sponsor family walks up, and they couldn't be happier that somebody would sit in church with them. Show them where the bathroom is. 
give them a hymn if they need it, blah, blah, right? And then the second thing is, is with the catechism, just read the stories and talk about what they mean. Some of, uh, most of our catechists have done a pretty good job. There have been a few slip-ups where they feel like they need to like, tell the whole story at once. It's just, what did you hear in that story? And all we try to get them back to do is talk about how gracious Jesus is so you don't have the response of, Jesus the judge. I mean, the bottom line is, this is a gracious place, and you all need to live graciously. And Beth, that's part of the reason I won't countenance the, the, I won't countenance the criticism from crabby people who won't live graciously. They will not criticize us. Live graciously for five years, and then we'll listen to you, okay? Or like you, you've stuck with us through thick and thin. From an unchurched family, your kids are in the school, you come to Bible study, your husband just got back from Africa. You have all kinds of credibility with us. People who never show up, never do anything, crab all the time, have no credibility. They have no voice because it's not the voice of Jesus. You know, we will not be crabbed into anything. We will die first. We will close before we'll be crabbed into anything. We just won't. Wow. That was interesting. <coughs> um, why don't you go ahead and read the next bit on beauty anywhere? It won't be so, so hard, but if you... I would, I would just suggest to you, why don't you begin to think about where these stories fit? All the Sunday school stories you know, and why don't you, be, why don't you begin to think about, I'll just, in 10 words or less, five words or less, you can do it. Think about what you're going to say when people yearn for these things. Just think to yourself about what you're going to say. Think of the most winsome, kind, inviting thing that you can say. What's the easiest thing you can say? What's the thing that will get to people? I mean, Faith's thing was brilliant. You could, I mean, that is just like, that's such a brilliant, non-judgmental thing to say, which is to say, you know, you stick with the same man for 44 years, and yeah, things tend to work out. I mean, well, of course it's Al, but I mean, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying. I mean, I just, you know, you know what I'm, within, a, within a range. <laughs> love you, I love you, love you, Al. <laughs> All right, let's pray, let's go.